Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captains Podcast. If you're looking for one of our regular Monday shows, we have done those. They are available elsewhere. But we're putting this programme out after hearing the shocking news today that Bill O'Hurley has died. Now, as everyone's aware, listen to the programme, he's one of the most beloved figures on Irish television for so many years. Certainly growing up and getting into football during the late 80s and early 90s, as we all did, it's hard to imagine what those broadcasts of Ireland's glory days would have been like without Bill O at the helm. He was so brilliant at capturing the excitement of those times. Most memorable after the penalty shootout against Romania when he gleefully told the nation that Alf had been deferred mm-hmm. and even home and away had been deferred and that the boys would be on the air until 10 o'clock and then that partnership of course with Giles and Dunphy lasting another 90, another 24 years from that point it's a, it's a career that I don't think will be surpassed in the Irish sports media Yeah I mean this is it's really sad news to hear about Bill O'Hurley and you know he was a brilliant uh, brilliant broadcaster uh, also an excellent journalist um, he had the ability to make difficult things look really easy. Uh, he he made you know he he had a, a warm kind of persona, which everybody knows very well. But you know what he was really brilliant at was was um, getting the best out of those um, guys who were on the panel with him. Mm. You know it's not it's it's not easy to do that. You know he would Bill O'Hurley would sit there and ask questions of kind of almost faux ingenuous questions, and uh, knew exactly how to sort of. Uh, had to get all those guys uh, going and give us some of the brain to base that we uh, saw down the years. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I suppose everybody saw so much of Bill that you kind of feel as though, you know, personally, and I'm sure everyone will be uh, very sad to hear about this. Yeah, um, Italian 90 is the touchstone for so many of this, and you nearly, it's, it's not to the f- forefront of your mind that 
his career stretched way before that and as you say now way after that as well 24 years after that but we over the course of the of doing uh, like our tv show we have looked back through the italian 90 tapes uh tons of times and we in the entry we're about to play we play a little clip from uh bill's opening to the ireland england coverage in italian 90 so our first game ever at a world cup finals and it had to it, we we cut it for this interview cut it for tv but it's about two or three minutes long and it's just the best written thing I think I've ever seen delivered on television. Absolutely amazing in that he he got it. Like, he got the fact that this wasn't a football game at all, uh, that it was so much more and it meant so much to people for whom football didn't mean a whole lot. And then for the people for which football was their life, or had been their life for the 20 or 30 years before that, it was, a, it was a huge, huge day as well. So, I mean, when it comes to getting the tone of the country, that's a pretty hard thing to do when you know you're going to be watched by a million and a half people or two million people or whatever it was watched that game and to just nail it in to the extent that he nailed it that day it's it, it, it would be as it would be a, a, a pre, it's a pretty stunning legacy all of its own not to mind the career that followed and, and preceded it and that's something we talked to Bill O himself about after he'd retired from RTD after the World Cup last summer and we had the great pleasure of a visit from him into our studios here in the Irish Times at the end of August this was August 26th I believe it was last year. He was just absolutely incredible company. So charming, as you'll see, as you'll hear. He took us through some of the major moments of his broadcasting career and we'd like to pay tribute to Bill O'Hurley by playing that interview for you again today. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Delighted to welcome Bill O'Hurley into studio. Bill, thanks so much for coming along. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. Now, congratulations on completing your final <laughs> World Cup. I was going to say congratulations on your retirement, but I know you're working Join away. the club. Everybody <laughs> says that to me. <laughs> How do you react when people congratulate you on your well, retirement? Well, to be honest about it, when, when it was first... I mean, first of all, you have to recognise that people are doing it very generously. That's the first thing. But I never congratulated anybody on his retirement, and I was very surprised. But it, it, apparently it's, it's, it's the norm. Well, I'll certainly congratulate you on your final World Cup. Um, with, uh, was there any stage during that that you thought, I'm enjoying myself so much here that maybe, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing by finishing up the TV? Well, <clears throat> the decision to retire was entirely mine, and I actually talked about it for, for last year. I looked, at, I looked at, uh, at it and said, and in fact I discussed it with uh, Royal Nugent, the head of sport, as to whether I'd go last year or not. And uh, I changed my mind on the grounds that there was nothing on last year. It was a fairly, fairly uh, OK summer. But this year, the World Cup finals were on and, and I'm associated with soccer. So I said to myself, you're better off to wait another year. And I discussed that with, uh, with Royal and that was the agreement that we came to that I would pack up. Having made the decision, inevitably, there'd be, I'd be saying to myself, was it the right decision or the wrong decision? I know, I know it is the right decision. But I also know that when I look at the start of the European Championships and I say the three lads with Dara, I'd say, in the name of God, what have you done, you know? But I have made the right decision. You got to do it on your own terms, as you described there. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was important. I mean, I'd hate to to get to the stage where they'd be kind of shunting me aside because I was making mistakes. And I'm 75 now, you know, and nearly 76. And I think I've I've had had the most extraordinary career in a way, like I've been very, very lucky because I've been part and parcel of the development of television in a very substantial way, you know, both in terms of news features, in terms of current affairs and in terms of sport. So I have been part and parcel of something that has radically altered in the 49 years that I've been broadcasting. So I've been very privileged and very lucky as well. And it worked, I worked with smashing people, you know, like and great people like 
God rest his soul, Tim O'Connor, who was a wonderful head of sport, and and um, British McAneil, who was the uh, the uh, one. He was a fantastic uh, editor of, of current affairs, and of course uh, Frank Hall, who was very special. You know, so I, I, I was I was trained by very good people, and uh, and I was very lucky. And then of course the three lads. <laughs> of course, <laughs> you can see that on the on the day of your last broadcast, it was you know it was a pretty big event in in RTE, you know, culminating in a almost a sort of a ball. Uh, were, you, were you comfortable being the centre of attention to that extent? I wasn't, to be honest, because, I mean, I've never regarded myself as, a, quote, a television personality. I, I'm a journalist, as far as I was concerned. I was brought up and reared as a journalist and trained as a journalist, and I always looked at my uh, my work on television as as a journalist. And I've been I've been unbelievably lucky because I worked with three smashing guys, like in, in uh, John Fee Giles and Brady, and, and I have made no bones about the fact that I've piggybacked on their talent. I mean, anybody could do what I'm doing. And Darren Maloney will do it. And I think in some respects he'll do it better than me because he's a better presenter. I, I'm, I'm, I, at the moment, I'm a better interviewer. But he'll, he'll get that as well. So he's very good. So there, there'll be I, in a year's time, they won't even remember me. I, I'm not sure about that now, but uh, were you nervous on that uh, on the last day on air? Were no, I wasn't really. I wasn't. I wasn't. But the one thing I I did decide. I mean, the the wrap up usually is not written by me because, like, I'm talking to people, I'm interviewing, them, and, and then we're in very tight in time in the end. The editor always writes the the last out out piece, but I decided that I'm decide I'm going to make my own decision as to what I'm going to say when I leave. So that was the first time I did, and wh- when I was writing it. The magnitude of what I had decided came across to me like that. God Almighty, I said, here I am writing my own, almost my obituary, a sense from, from television. And I, it, but, but, but once I actually got on air, you have to do your job, so it didn't worry me in the least. And I, I was far more emotional and, and gobsmacked, really, at the after-party mm. uh, gig because th- the warmth of it was unbelievable and the tributes were unbelievable. And I said to, I said to, the, uh, to, the, to the assembled... Uh, People, I said, look, I don't recognise this guy at all, because. It, but it was a sense. There was a sense, though, of the kind of whole family tradition of RT as well. That there was unbelievable warmth there, you know. And I suppose people were saying he had made a contribution, but I never expected anything like that had happened. And then I got a, a lovely presentation of a microphone, which they felt, after a long, long period of consideration, uh, properly uh, reflected my my work in RTE. Yeah. But one other thing. I'm a big Arsenal man, yeah. and Liam Brady invited myself and my wife Hilary to um, the director's box of, for any match I chose <laughs> for Arsenal this coming season. It's about so the that, best part of gift you're going to oh, get. Fantastic, fantastic. Typical Liam, though. Have you, uh, you talked about, well, I actually brought up the idea of nerves there. I'm, I'm maybe more interested in a sense of responsibility, particularly when Ireland are in those competitions. Yeah. Would you have sense? I think people, would, sorry for cutting across no, you, I know where yeah. you're going, yeah. Um, People have the impression, possibly, that we come in with our hands in our pockets and and the the, the program just happens. Mm. There is an enormous amount of background work in it. We're we're very lucky as well because Eugene O'Neill, the editor, is a superb editor. And the amount of like say we're on a Wednesday match, you know, say Ireland are for argument's sake are playing on a Wednesday. I know they'll be playing different days this time, Saturdays and Tuesdays. But we would start working on that for a Wednesday match on about thir- the previous Thursday, and. The, the editor would, would be the coordinator of all the information from the various people, including me, as to what we would think would be the essential elements that will define the, the game and uh, likely, likely to affect the result. And that goes on, and, and people would say, well, you, you know, we, we want to show 
Rooney getting a great goal in whatever it might be. You know, so excerpts to be taken from various matches. So then, again, on Monday and Tuesday, there would be a follow-up to the Saturday matches and see what, what further information might be there. And then on the Wednesday, uh, John Giles is usually in early, like he'd be in in the morning, and he would determine that uh, the four or five inserts that we have chosen should be as follows. He would, and he would also put them in, in, in running order, in effect, you know. And then we would have a very serious discussion, say, say from about 4.30 or 5 o'clock until about 6 or half 6 as to where the, uh, what, what's going to happen in the match and who are going to, who's going to dominate, what are the, the trends that are likely to emerge, etc., etc., etc. That would be a very serious discussion. I'm wondering actually how that works. I mean, is there, are you, does it work the same? Are you asking questions? <laughs> the others are, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's a completely... I, I would be asking questions, but I wouldn't be asked, it wouldn't be a question of me doing a kind of a dry run for on air. Not at all. I'd be listening, you see, because my function, I, and I think a lot of anchors make this mistake, my function is purely and simply to moderate, to bring out the best in the, the experts. I am not an expert, and in fact, I've been told on air by Dunphy a number of times <laughs> that I am not an analyst, and he makes no vote, and I'm not an analyst, and I don't pretend to be an analyst. But what I want to do is I want to extract from them the information that I think is most important. And also, a funny thing happened in the, in the 1990 World Cup, or just before we did a survey and discovered only 32% of the people understood the game. Now, that came as an, as an astonishing fact to us. We couldn't believe it, but it was a very big survey. So we decided then that one of our functions was to bring the people with us, but not in a preachy way or a, a coaching way, you know, just but give them more information about the game and the various nuances of the game. So that's been done through the years, and I think that's one of the things where Giles is outstanding, and that's one of the reasons that we're we're so much bigger in terms of audience than any of the the other channels when it comes to Ireland or indeed even the Champions League. What about those really big days and your own specific role, Bill? I'm going to play you a clip here from Italia 90. This is your introduction to the coverage of Ireland against England that famous night. Good evening, and you're welcome to our World Cup coverage on a day of historic importance for Ireland. In less than an hour, we line out against England and Cagliari and take our place in the World Cup finals for the very first time. For those who've worked to lift Irish soccer onto a plateau of achievement and respect, among them are two panellists, John Giles and Eamon Dunphy, it is a day of pride and emotion. For the nation at large, it's a day of joy and drama and celebration. And in our coverage tonight, we plan to reflect the national mood as we anticipate the game after what Kevin Morton has called an eternity of waiting. It's only a game, says Bobby Robson of England, and he's right, but he's wrong too, because to be in the finals for the first time is very special. And we're going to see what it means to people right around the country, whether they're 9 or 90. And I promise you, we're going to enjoy ourselves, we're going to give it a lash. Those are remarkable words. Nice to listen back to that. Yeah, that's one of the best things I wrote, I think. <laughs> well, it was incredible, really. Talk about setting the tone. I'm yeah. wondering, was that something you would have agonised over for weeks? The, 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 the script, you mean? Yeah. No, because I'll tell you why. We had a superb editor, Morris, really, at that stage. And when we were actually looking to, to see how we were going to present the World Cup, he made the point, and he was the editor, therefore his words was, was law, in effect. <laughs> but everybody agreed with it. This was not just a soccer match. This was a national event. And if you remember that coverage, that coverage brought in the GAA, it brought in all the community groups, it brought in athletics, it brought in everybody. We wanted the whole country to, to be part and parcel of it. And that was the thing that actually distinguished 
our coverage from everybody and it was the one that actually put us on a plateau for which we still were still there you know um but in writing it i fe- i felt listening to everything it um it was it was something that i found i found very easy to write i didn't have any difficulty you were because writing what you were seeing that, exactly exactly yeah. and if you remember that was an extraordinary time in dublin oh yeah like I remember, I remember Jerry Ryan, God rest him, saying to me the following day, I did an interview with him on his programme and he said, do you regret that you weren't in Italy? I said I wouldn't have missed Dublin for anything. Like it was a very special time in Dublin. Like everybody was celebrating, there was no crime. There was, everybody was smiling, everybody was laughing, everybody was, was, uh, was uh, you know, was completely behind the Irish team to such an extent that poor old Eamon got an awful hard time because he was considered a party pooper, yeah. you know, when he yeah. was calling a spade a spade but and, and in fact I complained bitterly that and it was changed actually for, for Katie Taylor I complained bitterly that they never came back to the studio and saw us celebrate the, 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 the Genoa yeah. uh, uh, penalty shootout because they would have realised that while we might be hard-nosed about our comment we were absolutely fans of Ireland you know in every sense but that was done actually for um Katie Taylor when she won the gold medal and they came back to the studio and they saw what we did in 1990 dancing around the place and hugging and kissing and everything it was fantastic you know Is it maybe that time one of the best examples of sport essentially I think is it a glorious triviality is this Hugh McIlvaney phrase it can actually be quite important at times Oh yeah there's no doubt well there's no doubt about it that, that it, it, it bonded the nation you know that World Cup bonded the nation like no other and 94 was not the same at all you know, 88 was a fluke, as we all know. We got there by, by, by the dent of Scotland winning a match they weren't expected to win. And we, we got the taste of it then. And then Jack Charlton, for all his inadequacies as a coach in many respects, he, you know, he did a fantastic job in the World Cup and brought us to, to, uh, uh, you know, to the knockout stages and where we were defeated. We spoke to Michael Parkinson recently on the show. Um, I know, reading your book, he was one of your early oh, yeah. icons and somebody you might have modelled yourself on to a certain extent. He talked about that as well. I think his phrase was, the relevance of sport is its irrelevance. He was yeah. saying, if, if you're thinking of it as war, as uh, famine, any of those things, that's not what it is, but it's important in its own way. And you came from a current affairs background. I'm wondering, did you have to, in those years, fight against the idea that sport is actually quite trivial. What, what's Bill O'Hurley doing involved in sport? Well, funnily enough, the audience thought that. Because when I, when I was taught... You see, when I got into trouble with the Money Lending Tribunal and it finished my current affairs career, and I was offered, tentatively now, I wouldn't go any further than a nibble, I was offered, uh, was I interested in the Irish Times? <laughs> so I was, to be honest, and Ted Nealon, who's dead now, God rest him as well, Ted said to me, you should go there. So I went along to Oliver Maloney, and Oliver Maloney was the head of, of, uh, of Human Resources, and he had been with us all the way through the tribunal. And I said, listen, I've, been, does it, I've got a nibble about this job, and I think I'll pursue it. He said, don't even consider it, he said. If you leave here, the RTE, people will think, first of all, there was something wrong with the programme, and the programme was accurate. And secondly, he said, you will be damaged if you leave. So my advice to you is to stay. And he said, what would you like to do? And I said, I'd like to do sport. Sport you'll do, he said. But I didn't realise that there was a fantastic battle to move me from current affairs into sport because Mick O'Hare didn't want me. And he made it very clear the very first day I met him, which was about the Wednesday because he was racing on Monday and Tuesday, he, he, he brought me in and he said to me, Bill, he said, I don't want you here, he said. But you're welcome. And he was head of sport at that stage. He was, yeah. I know what you hear about you. Did you ask, what, what do you mean? He said, he said, you have the wrong image. 
you have the wrong image for sport, he said, because sport... Which at the time was... Was a hard-nosed current affairs image. Right. And he said, that is not the way we operate. And he said, I, I don't want you, he said, but you're here now, so you're welcome. That's incredible. And it's turned out to work to your advantage as far it's, But as, in fairness, yeah. I, have to, I have to finish the story. Sorry, this, yeah. No, 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 no. In this respect, to be fair to Mick O'Hare, I, because I was very well trained, and sport was at that stage, like you could say in May, what you're going to do in September or October, it was very, very compartmentalised, very little in comparison to today. And when I... <laughs> When, when I used to come up with all kinds of ideas for, for programmes and that kind of thing, because there was a, there was a, there was a, a weekly uh, kind of features programme as well. And he came out to me after about three months. Now, he knew full well what, for, that I had retailed what he had said and had gone wrong in the building. So he came out and he put his arm around me in my, at, at the desk. He said, Bill, he said, I didn't want you. He said, but thanks be to God you're here. <laughs> Fair play to him. Like, I, I, that was good. And I liked Mick O'Hare. He was good to me as well, you know. Um, the, the whole process, though, I mean, it seems extraordinary now to think of, I mean, as you, as you say, you know, the programme is accurate and yet you're banished from... That from yeah, the thing that you've been doing, but but you see, it was it was an extra it was an extraordinary time. I mean, you'd have to put it in context because the administration, which was a Fianna Fáil administration, that sort of RT saw RT as an arm of government. They didn't see RT current affairs as a as an instrument where they'd be forensically examined about performance, and that got on their wick week in week out. They would be skin and hair flying between RT and uh, and 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 the government. And it, it, it became exacerbated when Owen Harris became the, the, the editor, Lilia Doolan, and then Marish McAneil, who was by far and away the most, uh, the most influential of, of all of them. And they, they just got, they, they, the government just didn't take it anymore. And when they came across the, the money lending programme, which was a programme that, that used hidden microphones, hidden, hidden cameras, and showed the extent of the problem, it was a huge, huge scandal as far as. Uh, the Doyle was concerned, it was like all kinds of debates in the Doyle, and they said, OK, we'll, we'll set up a tri- tribunal of inquiry to, inqu- in, to inquire into the programme, not to the problem. Because mm. this gave them the opportunity. To stamp down on you. Yeah. And they didn't care about me, like I was a little trout in a piranha pool. This was about, <laughs> this was about current, getting, getting, putting manners on current affairs, which yeah. they succeeded in doing for a long time. So, so, so you ended up doing sport at that stage. I wonder, from a personal point of view, was that a difficult time for you? Because did you have people gloating over you, saying, no, oh, no. no. I, I, I was a hero on the first day of the tribunal and I was a, a right eejit on day 56 when it finished, you know? <laughs> <laughs> having said all that, there, nobody ever was, was unkind to me. Nobody ever was unkind. And I had a job in RT. If I wanted to go into news, I could have gone into news. But yeah. I didn't want to go into news. Because I, I, I had done sport in the examiner anyway in the old days and I enjoyed it immensely. But people, to go back to the question you asked a while ago, uh, people rang up and they said, uh, God, it's awful to see uh, Bill O'Hurley ringing, uh, reading the, the racing results at five to six. It was program <laughs> five to six every night. But I was delighted. I, got ma- I had just got married. Did you need to be convinced in your own mind that this was, uh, was going to be a good thing? I mean, how long did I'm, it take? I tell you something. I am a great believer in the Lord moving in mysterious ways. And there isn't the slightest shadow of doubt that what happened to me in the tribunal and the consequence because of Oliver Maloney, go- my going into sport, was the best thing that ever happened to me. Really? I would never have achieved anything like the same satisfaction, the same or the same success in current affairs as I would have in sport. But was it also around that time that you started a PR company? Yeah, I left. But yeah, I, I actually, yeah, I left RTE in 71, I think it was. And I started the PR company at that stage. Uh, in a way, like when, when I was in sport, I was the, bored in sport the, 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 in the early days. The, the PR company, though, is an interesting one because it would have it been an industry 
I would, I, I guess, I don't know, but in its infancy in Ireland. Oh yeah, right. yeah. So how did you? Well, the reason I got into it was because because uh, uh, young advertising, excuse me, I know Kennedy Brindley, were fed up of 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 of, uh, of doing free PR for their advertising clients, and it was becoming more demanding. So they wanted to set up a company, and they offered it to me. They said, we'll, we'll fund it for two years and then we'll give it to you, which is what they did. So I said to myself, I, as I said, I was a bit bored in sport at that stage because it was too predictable. The actual, the great start in sport hadn't actually happened, you know, like in terms of the, the expansion into the premiership, all that kind of stuff hadn't yet happened. And uh, I decided I'd, I'd, um, I'd start, I'd start the, uh, the PR company and I, I never regretted it. I learned an awful lot because I was working with, with very expert companies like Coca-Cola who who had a, a, a concept of corporate communications that was way beyond anything I learned from the examiner or from RTE, to be honest. Well, you know? so different from journalism. And I don't know if you felt, was there a different ethos? Is, is there a sort of poacher turned gamekeeper element? That, well, well, that's the that? journalistic view. Yeah. Like my, my attitude was very simple. I, I wasn't going to start lying for any client. I called a spade a spade when a spade was necessary to be called. I didn't, I didn't walk clients into trouble. I didn't unnecessarily give out information, but I didn't conceal information. And I took that and I made it very clear to all the clients, this is the way I operate. Because I had to protect my own reputation and my reputation wasn't as big as it might be today, but nonetheless, like people knew who I was and all that. And I said, I'm not going to, to destroy that reputation and become a kind of a sleeveine. Yeah. It's hard to imagine, just going back to the sports side of things, the life before the panel but there was a period where you presented football coverage um, for example I know there was a Cup Winners Cup game Ah don't talk to me about that Go on please tell <laughs> us this story <laughs> That was, a, that was a, I, I, and I did it on my own and what you have to remember in the old days like when we'd have you'd have five minutes before the match then you'd have 15 minutes at half time and you might be very lucky if you had two minutes of, uh, of, uh, of commercials and the rest of it you'd have to fill yourself But what were you supposed to do? Well, I was, I was supposed to talk very knowledgeably about the game. and it was <laughs> To t- yourself? Yeah, well, to it the was, audience. Oh, and it was, was nil all at half-time. There was nothing happened in the first half. It was between two uh, Eastern European teams. One, I think, might have been Russian. I'm not quite certain. And one of them was certainly... But both of them were from the far side of the curtain as it existed in those days. And I remember Eamon Dunphy writing... Uh, very trenchantly, that was very obvious that Bill O'Hurley knew nothing whatsoever about soccer. He gave me a desperate, a desperate <laughs> review in the Tribune, I think it was, maybe the Sunday Independent, I don't know. But he was right. It must have been so uncomfortable. But I said, I yeah. said I'd never do it again. I said, that is not my function. Do you, do you have any... Because uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. I wish a tape existed of this, of this moment. I have no idea what anyone could say in that position. Do you have any idea what it was? Oh, that well, I we, we picked out a couple of bits and bobs that we oh, so at least you, you had a couple of replays and things like oh, that. Oh yeah, but sure there was no way in the wide world I could see. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I ever had to talk and really talk was um, the, I remember I was doing Sports Stadium and Joe McCormick was the, uh, was the, was the, uh, the director and I got a f- uh, message from Joe McCormick who said, Billy said, uh, we were doing motor racing from Kirkestone in Northern Ireland. He said, we got a problem. And I said, what's the problem? He said, there's a rainstorm in Kirkestone and it's, put, uh, it's been put back for, uh, the race has been back for half an hour. Half an hour? I said, what am I going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do, son. He was an Australian, or an Irish Australian. You're going to do what you're paid to do. He said, you're going to talk. <laughs> and if you've got, you got a problem, he said, I'll send in a, a straw hat and a cane and give you the key of C. <laughs> and I was back in the air, oh. and I said to myself because they, I remember the the um, the commercial break was thirty two seconds, yeah. 
And I said, in God's name. But luckily it was a soccer day. So I talked about this, that and the other thing. Nothing, there were no inserts, nothing. I talked for 12 minutes and, on a live programme and by the time we got something else, I handed over. I got a rung of applause from the, from the fellas. Yeah. I, Jesus, I, could, I could actually feel the sweat yeah. dripping down under my armpit. I can only imagine. So I suppose if you're ever having a bad day with the panel, you can remind yourself of those days. Oh, that's when, right. Before I, days, I had a bad it? day. I tell you, I had a bad day with the lads one time in the sense that I was going to, um, I was going to ask a question. And I dried. The only time I ever dried. And I said, um, and this is where Dunphy is brilliant. I said, um, I'm sorry, lads. I was about to ask a question and it's gone. And Dunphy, quick as a flash, said, I'm delighted to hear that. Because for a long time I've wanted to ask you this question. And he covered completely. <laughs> and then it was back. It was terrific. But that's where Dunphy is great. Speaking of, speaking of these kind of on-air surprises that happen, I mean, you, you spoke earlier about how um, you know, the the programme would actually be prepared carefully in advance. You'd oh, spend yeah. spend quite a bit of time. But do you ever kind of think, you know, there's something that I might like, well, I might want to spring on them? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, that's what that's what Brady calls a hand grenade. Yeah. You know, like I mean, you can't be it, it can't be formulaic in the sense you can't decide in advance everything is going to be. But you ha- you can decide what the key parts of it are. Thereafter, you have to say to yourself. This this is also television. It's also showbiz, or as as, as some people say, this is showbiz, baby. <laughs> so you have to have something in it that makes a difference. And also, there might be there might be to, to go back to the Parkinson thing. They may have said something, and suddenly you say to yourself, "If I explore that, no, I'll get a lot out of it." You know, that's and, more uh, interesting than what we correct. We and I would do that. You know, and 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 that's where I think that Gabo and Parkinson were outstanding. They listened, and an awful lot of people, I think, anchoring have their own set agenda and they go according to that agenda and that's a huge mistake. You've got you to f- go with the flow. You also have to probably have a good relationship as you clearly do with the panel for them not to take any offence. It's not as though you're trying to get at them personally when you throw in a hand grenade. Oh, you're no, 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 no. But they recognise sometimes that like, I, mean, I got an awful bollocking from Brady about... Uh, about um, uh, about trap in in relation oh, to the crowds. One crowds day. weren't turning yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. He, wasn't a bit, he wasn't a bit impressed and he told me afterwards he wasn't a bit impressed. But I mean... It is a very happy programme, and the programme is over. The rows are over, except in the case of John and Eamon for the long term. But apart from that, like, there's n- there's never a serious row because we all respect what we're doing, you know. The tightness of the panel and the bond that you've had, yeah. Bill, it's it's very clear. I'm wondering, is that would you be would you have been quite protective, you and the three guys, of your own patch there, in the sense that. Other people are coming in, and I know you've made the point in the past that even Graeme Souness was maybe a little bit felt intimidated somewhat, and Ray Howe yeah. and, and Ronnie Whedon. Just at the start, it's maybe a hard group to break into. It, it is, there's no question of it, because like I, I've, I've, I've used the expression that we're like a repertory company. You know, like we all know our, our functions. My function is to moderate, their function is to analyse. But at the same time, like they're so used to working together, there's an instinctive bond between them, you know, and... and uh, for somebody to come in recognising that they have got audiences in the region of anything up to a million and a half uh, over the years, people are, I suppose, conscious of the strength of their comments and conscious of the fact that they are the uh, the A team, as they described, <laughs> as they it has been described. So, in that sense, anybody coming in is a little bit intimidated. But there are they're very good people coming up. Ronnie is very good. Uh, Richie Sadler is extremely good in my estimation and Kenny Cunningham has great strengths as well so like there are people coming through and Dara is very good Dara, Dara will surprise people I mean I'm, I'm a bit sorry for Dara in the sense that people say that 
I'm a hard act to follow. I'm not really. I'm not really because the lads are the people. If he just listens and if he leaves the lad, gives the lads their head without being silly about it, which you won't be, he, you know. So for people coming into that, and it's you've obviously retired from that side of it now, and the, the rest and of I'm the panel. And I'm not going to do a Ferguson. I'm not going to go into RTE, <laughs> and I'm not going to stand and, and ring up and say that was terrible crap. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you missed this point at that point. None of that. Uh, the, I'm out. I'm out. The rest of the panel are closer to the end of their careers than the start. So the, all, this new breed is coming in, as you say. If they're strong enough, and they're long term going to be viable options, do you feel that they just have to handle the initial? intimidation not that it's a deliberate intimidation but the initial if there's initial difficulty in getting into within the group if they're good enough it's sink or swim really uh, well you see that that process has already started yeah you know I mean it, this is where where the loss now of the premiership is a big loss in the sense that was a grounding area for an awful lot of new talent you know and um, uh, I, I would imagine I have no idea what, what the head of sport uh, has in mind but it wouldn't surprise me in the least if, if, if you will find on Lesser occasions in the Champions League that you'll find that there'll be a there'll, there'll be a, a different mix, you know. But when it comes to the big games, you'll find the three lads will be the the, the star attraction, and rightly so. When you think, I mean, over when you think about a program that's been on for so long, there's you know people have watched so much of it. Um, you know, it's 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 almost difficult to to uh, to isolate what it is that you really like about it. Um, but I suppose then the moments that do stick out in memory are big fights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a mo- there was a fight with um, uh, you know uh, Liam Brady almost walking out. Uh, there was another one. Eamon oh, that was about that was about uh, the, the, the Vingers walks. Yeah, the, exactly. Yeah. The, the package, the video package that you hadn't seen. There was another one where uh, where Eamon Dunphy was very indignant about you uh, t- quoting uh, gutter journalists. Oh, that's right. That's right and so on and so forth. And he became a great friend of his afterwards. Oh yeah, I, I think I heard them on the radio a couple of days <laughs> later. I've had a had a lovely on, on live line. but. Um, I wonder, I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of, it's kind of a paradoxical thing because you're talking about, you know, everyone has, a, the, there's, there's quite a close relationship and, and, and in another sense, what people almost want to see is them falling out. Oh, they, yeah, yeah. Do people need to get on to be able to fall out on air like that? Yeah, the, I suppose in a sense, yes. I mean, the, the reality is that uh, they're all very good. The three of them are very good friends. Like, they're especially, uh, especially Brady and... and uh, and Dunphy, who were not friends at all in us, in when Brady was playing soccer, and Brady are, got terrible stick from Dunphy when he went to Italy, if you remember. Mm. And uh, but they're they're great mates, you know. They go out an awful lot eating and and and, uh, and dining out, and Giles less so. But he's he like he's a he's a great friend of the three of them. But I, I suppose because they're friends, you see, they would argue that when when they disagree, it's not a fight; it's an intellectual disagreement, and it is purely temporary. You mentioned uh, that you're a journalist, a print journalist by trade, yeah. and your grandfather uh, was news editor in the, in the, the Examiner, Examiner, the Cork yeah. Examiner at the time. Yeah. Uh, circulation figures were out last week for newspapers, and they're down again in terms yeah, yeah. Of, uh, of the print editions. Uh, do you worry about the future of the newspaper well, industry that you look so much? It's very doubtful, I'd say. You know, I mean, there will be huge changes. I saw there was a story in the paper the other day, was it about the Boston Globe or something like that? They were, they were making it, they were, you know, the digital... And print things were being separated for right. obvious reasons. I was talking to a guy who told me he went from New York to Boston on, uh, on, on a train recently. Nobody was reading a paper. And if you go to Cork, as I frequently do, and you, and you, you know, nobody's reading the paper either. They're all working either on their iPads or reading from their iPads. It's a huge, there's a huge change. I'd be very worried if I was running a newspaper. And it's very sad, sad to see what's happened to the Examiner because when I started in the Examiner, 
like the circulation was about twice what it currently is and it was a great place to work and it was a great place to train and it was a lovely lovely environment but sure no I don't know what the score is now, but certainly their, their circulation is very poor. Your own dream was to become editor yeah. of the Irish Examiner. Are you happy enough with how it all turned out? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I still would love to have been the editor. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. And if I had been offered the job when I was working in sport, I think I would have taken it. Really? Yeah, I really had a, I had a, see, I'm a tribal Cork man. I love, I love, um, I love Cork and I love everything about Cork. And to be the editor of the Examiner to me would have been the pinnacle, I think, of my career if I had been lucky enough to get it. But and I was—I have to say—when I was there, I was heading towards it because I—I I had an awful lot of freedom to do things in the Examiner, and I was the editor of the Weekly Examiner, which of course is a Mickey Mouse operation. But nonetheless, it was a training ground, and and uh, it, it, it might have happened. It might have happened. But you're happy. Ah, yeah, I've been the luckiest person in the whole world. And the only disappointment I had in recent times was watching Cork last Sunday. <laughs> Mother of God, they were the worst Cork team I ever saw. Well, we'll have to leave it on that down <laughs> note, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Bill O'Hurley, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming Thank in. you for having me. I appreciate it. So he's almost like having a second captain, isn't he? Second captain, first captain, whatever. All right, that was Bill O'Hurley speaking to us last August. That was the, the end of August 2014. And it was really great to have him in. I think the type of humble person he was really shone through there. For example, when he says that you know, people will forget about me in a year or two, it, it, it moves on. I don't think anyone will forget about Bill O'Hurley in a year or two or even in 10 or 20 years for people uh, certainly of, of our vintage. Um, and so many nice stories. I mean, the Me All O'Hare one, I, I love. <laughs> not the most welcoming, not the, not the greatest start to his long and illustrious I didn't want career. you here, but you're welcome. Yeah. Which seems like a little bit of a contradiction in terms. But uh, yeah, they were glad to have him by the end. He certainly, yeah, he battled through that, uh, that particularly awkward exchange. So I uh, would just like to send our condolences at this stage to all of Bill O'Hurley's friends and family. A true legend of Irish broadcasting is gone. Thanks very much for listening to this show. And we'll chat to you soon. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.